Well, if I haven't met you, my name is Tom. I'm uh, the executive pastor here. And uh, if you are uh, interested in the things that are happening here at the church and finding out more, uh, if you missed the 1017, you can go to baylife.org weekly and get all the information of everything that's going on here. We've had a couple events happen uh, the last couple weekends. Currently, our high school students are on retreat. Uh, they're at the beach having a great time. But last weekend, uh, the middle school had a retreat. And I'm looking right now at five roses. We had five kids that placed their faith and trust in Jesus. And so that is fantastic. Uh, I have a question for you this morning. Uh, my question is simply this. Do you have a comfort zone? Uh, you're like, okay, yeah, it's a couple of audibles. Uh, yeah, a place where you unwind, a place where you relax. Uh, perhaps it's a task or a job that's become pretty easy for you. Um, maybe everyone, you know, if you think about it, if there's a place that's coming to mind for you right now, I'm just going to ask you on the count of three to, to shout out what that place is, okay? Do you have that place in mind or that activity or that role? Everyone ready? Oh, that was really bad. I had one person say yes. Everyone ready? Oh, there we go. Okay. One, two, three. All right, I heard some that were similar to mine. Uh, this is mine. Uh, this is the living room uh, of our house. This is where we gather as a family. Uh, this is where our close friends are invited to. This is where I'm known and accepted. Uh, this is where I can put my feet up on the furniture. Uh, it's where I'm not asked to change. Uh, it's where I'm very, very comfortable to hang out uh, with my family. No growth is usually required here in the comfort zone. Now, it's a good place to hang out. I'm going to just tell you that. It's a great place, especially when the kids are back home. We just had Ryland fly back home uh, yesterday, and so it was really fun to have him back in the house uh, and uh, bantering with us. That was just great. But this is never, never a good place to stay. It's a good place to have. It's not a good place to stay. Now, perhaps for you, the thing that you shouted out was a group of friends. Uh, maybe uh, that you've had for years or places and people that you feel totally secure with. Maybe it's experiences where you're super confident in those experiences, where uh, when that task comes up, it's just your sweet spot. You have no problem doing those things or being involved in those things. Those responsibilities to you are just second nature. But here's a question. What if? What if God called you out of that? onto something different, something that you didn't have answers for, something that you had no clue on how to do. We're uh, going to take a look at Genesis uh, chapter 12 through uh, 23. Don't freak out. <laughs> You're like, um, you only got like a half hour. How are you going to get all those chapters in? Mark can barely get through two verses. Uh, <clears throat> So we're just, we're going to look at uh, Genesis 12 through 23 really has the entire uh, life of Abraham in our scripture. And so we're going to take a look at his life. Uh, we're going to spend some time, we're going to zero in on some of the things that, that happened there and take a look at his life. Uh, chapter 12, it starts off with his calling. He's called out by God. Uh, and, and it flows, surprisingly, out of chapter 11 in Genesis which chapter 11 is, uh, if you're familiar with Genesis, is the Tower of uh, Babel. And they asked, in that chapter, they asked, hey, why don't we build a tower for ourselves? Why don't we make our name great? 
and build the tower up to the Lord so that people will know us, uh, remember us. We can make a name for ourselves. Uh, the truth is the story of the Tower of Babel isn't really too different than us today. We try and make names for ourselves. We try and, uh, you know, I figure I can achieve my way to, uh, to heaven, to uh, a relationship with God. I can get up there on my own. Now, chapter 11 is some judgment takes place after that Tower of Babel. Uh, it results in kind of this creation of nations. God confuses them with language and they spread out. And they follow what he wanted them to do in the first place. They scatter throughout the world. The Bible in Genesis, verses, or chapters 1 up through 12, is kind of this 40,000-foot view of what's happening on the earth. And then it just zeroes in in chapter 12 onto a person, onto a family. And we kind of like zoom in to see what God's doing. And we see God's plan is to take a person and instead of that person saying, you know what, I'm going to make a name for myself, God says, I'm going to make a name for you. There's a total difference from chapter 11. Chapter 11, they're like, we're just going to become great on our own. And chapter 12, God's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to make this guy's name great. And we see this then in the next 12 chapters, the life of Abraham. But here's the deal. He has to move out of his comfort zone. He has to move out of what he was so accustomed to, uh, what he was so familiar with. And it starts off in verse 1 in chapter 12. So if you want, you can open your Bibles and, and try and follow with me, but I'll throw the verses up here on the screen. And we're just going to be zooming through some chapters and looking at some key verses there. Uh, so you can follow along with me on the screen if you don't want to... Uh, be flipping the pages a ton. So let's look at verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your kindred, your father's house, to a land which I will show you. This is the call. It's, it's an invitation for Abram to leave all that he knew and to come on a journey with God. Look at what he's really asking here. What he's really asking for is sacrifice. He's asking for sacrifice. He says, leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household, leave your nuclear family. This is his comfort zone. In the ancient world, the issues of land and family had significance in regard to the gods that you served. And so Abraham was from Ur. Now, archaeologists have dug up some pieces from Ur, and they tell us that uh, Ur's uh, social kind of structure and religious context was very sophisticated. It was also pagan, just as much as like Babylon or Egypt. Uh, Ur's uh, lunar religion kind of dominated life. And so the town of Ur did not know or serve Yahweh. And so here God calls Abraham out. And Abraham is asked to put all of that behind to put his land, his family behind him. Uh, the request is that he walks away from the gods that are associated with his land and his family. Now I'm willing to bet that there are some of us here in the room that really understand this. Uh, maybe you've come to Jesus and it's come with sacrifice. You've had to move away from family or cultural relationships. Uh, you have a deeper understanding than some of the rest of us in the room as to what Abraham was being asked to do in this moment. 
His agonizing decision was kind of complicated, too, because uh, there was a vagueness in the command in terms of what he would do. He says, go to a land that I will show you. Abraham wasn't told that Canaan was the land that God was talking about here. He'd just know when he got there. Have you ever packed all your belongings in a car and just started driving until the Lord said, stop? Me neither. Uh, the last couple of weeks, uh, I, I, Nicole and I have been out of the country. We went with the first week of the college students uh, to France, and we got the opportunity to serve at a, at a camp for a week. Uh, it was, it was uh, awesome just to be behind the scenes encouraging uh, the Christians there in France and also seeing a lot of the students that came to the camp come to know Jesus. It was a fantastic week. The week after, Nicole and I decided, hey, we're going to stick around and we're, we're going to take a train up to Amsterdam and meet her parents who live in Phoenix. Uh, they were going to fly out. Her dad was the first one of his family born here in the States. And so uh, he had never been back to the Netherlands where his parents were from. And so we looked up, we found out uh, his parents' hometown, and we didn't just get in a car in Amsterdam and start driving hoping to find it, right? We did what any sane person would do, we mapped it out. Like we knew how long it would take, we knew the potential routes, we knew the way to go scenically, uh, all of that stuff. And so we went to this little town called Hindelupen. But I would have never found it without Apple Maps. Look at the promise here that God gives Abraham. He says this, I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. God's promise is that Abraham will become a great nation. But there's a challenge to this promise that's involved here. We learn that Abraham didn't have any children. And Sarah was barren which is kind of a painful reality in iniquity. And he's asked to believe in something that has not yet happened. In fact, he doesn't have any evidence of it happening. He's 75 years old, and he hasn't had a child yet. In fact, his 75 years of life experience would tell him, this won't happen. And yet God comes and says, I'm going to make you a great nation. God's promise is to make Abraham's name great. Again, ironically, what the builders of the Tower of Babel tried to seek on their own. Verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Abraham's call ends with this promise that all the families of the earth shall be blessed will be blessed through him. It's the gospel. Right there. Right there in Genesis, 4,000 years ago, it's the gospel. It's the good news that Jesus will one day come. It's the good news that will eventually transform lives. Look, look at uh, Galatians 3, 8, and 9. Paul says it this way. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So the gospel, the good news was announced 4,000 years ago to Abram, 
in the town of Ur, in the darkness, an old man with no hope of a child. That sounds like God, right? This gospel is announced in advance, and Paul says, this is Jesus that he was talking about. He says, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make you a blessing to others, I'm going to bless those that bless you, and I'm going to bless the world because of you. That becomes the call, that becomes the promise, and Jesus becomes the fulfillment of that promise. So we get the call and the promise, and then fourth... Thousand years later, we get Jesus, right? Or 2,000 years later, we get Jesus. These are the bookends to the story. But then, in Abraham's life, that's not where the story ends. There's this journey that takes place. <laughs> and it's during this journey that Abraham forged his relationship with God. Now, we're going to look at pieces of this journey. And I just got to warn you, if you've never read the book of Genesis, if you've never, you're like, who's this Abraham guy? I've never heard of him. I'm just going to tell you, his journey... Uh, was a bit spicy, okay? <clears throat> he makes, the Bible doesn't, doesn't hide any things. He makes decisions that you're going to be like, what? Uh, he makes choices. Uh, God doesn't move in as fast as he wants him to. He doesn't answer uh, what's happening in his life as quickly as Abraham hopes. And so he oftentimes tries to solve the problems that he encounters on his own. Now, we wouldn't know anything about that, would we? Right? But the truth is, the journey is where we grow. You're going to see this transformation take place in Abraham's life as we take a look at some of these events. The journey is where we make our mistakes. Can, can I just let you in, if you're new to this whole Christian thing, you're not going to be perfect at this. It's okay. The, the journey is the place where we discover and we work out our differences with God. Uh, we become aware of convictions that we need to develop. Uh, we are able to express any lack of trust. It helps us clarify wrong views of God. Uh, these are important experiences for us, for developing a healthy relationship and walk with the Lord. If you came to know Christ 25 years ago, my hope is that you looked different today than you did back then. That your actions are a little quicker to follow your beliefs. Now, we call this whole process, right, the sanctification process. And for Abraham, the journey starts off with a simple step. Verse 4, so Abraham went just as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. They came to the land of Canaan. Abraham passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Marat, and at that time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. And so he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared for him. Journey starts off pretty smooth. Uh, Abraham started off with great excitement. He began to worship God and he was excited. Uh, he didn't expect any trials to come. Like, how easy was this? He left Ur, he journeyed, Canaanite, here it is, boom, altar. Yes, we're done, right? That's it. But the truth is, trials come. A famine comes for, for Abram. 
And so that's a trial. James says this, the trials produce perseverance and maturity so that we might be complete, lacking in nothing. The truth is, trials are going to happen. And so it's a famine. If you read, you realize what he doesn't do. He doesn't pray. He doesn't ask God. He reverts back to what he knows to do, what life experiences has taught him. And in that time, if there was a famine, you go to Egypt. And so that's what he does. Verse 11. Uh, when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. Now, just for perspective, she's 65 years old. Uh, so she has some clean living. She's been doing some beach body. She's Pilates. Uh, she is uh, 65. So verse 12. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. They will kill me, but they will let you live. So, say that you are my sister, that it may go uh, well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. You're like, wait a second, what? <laughs> Did I read that right? Show me the Shaq meme again. What, what just happened? Yeah, he said, uh, say that you are my sister. Now, here's the deal. Abraham is a creative and cunning man. Uh, now, I know you're thinking, okay, he's a little crazy here that he's risking Sarah, but here's what he reasoned. Here's, culturally, here's what he thought about. Posing as brother and sister would be the best thing because if he was husband, if they kill him, they just take her. But if he's brother, uh, they had to do something else. So uh, there is a writer, Abraham was counting on uh, the custom of fratriarchy. There's a writer, his name is uh, Nahum Sarna, and he says this, when there is no father, the brother assumes legal guardianship of his sister, uh, particularly in respect to the obligation and responsibilities of arranging marriage on her behalf. Therefore, whoever wished to take Sarah to, uh, to wife would have to negotiate with her brother. And so here's what Abraham was thinking. He was thinking, okay, I, I, could, I could see the threat coming because they wouldn't kill me. They just want to negotiate with me. And then I could see that someone was interested and then we would know, okay, I, I need to hightail it out of here. It, it was brilliant. Uh, this way Abraham could gain time to kind of plan and escape. He could see the threats coming. And he's thinking to himself, man, I am so wise. I have totally figured this out. But, right, and sometimes in our process to help God fulfill his promise to us, uh, we make bad decisions. This is one of them. He forgets the fact that he told a half-truth. Uh, he forgets the fact that he didn't trust God uh, to take care of this. Abraham had forgotten about one thing that superseded this idea of dealing with the brother, Pharaoh. You see, the average Egyptian would have been happy to negotiate for his sister. But Pharaoh, well, Pharaohs can just take. He never really thought of that. And so Sarah suffers. Everything dissolves in an instant. And yet Pharaoh takes and rewards Abram. He gives him, makes him a rich man. He gives him sheep. He gives him oxen, he gives him donkeys, he gives him male and female servants, he gives him camels. Uh, he makes him super wealthy. And like normal, God steps in 
to rescue. In fact, Scripture will tell you that he inflicted a plague on Pharaoh and his household. Uh, The Hebrew word that's translated plague often refers to skin disease. But the only one not afflicted was Sarah. And so Pharaoh's servants questioned her and are like, so tell us a little bit more about yourself, right? And they learned of the deception that was taking place, and they reported it to Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh calls in Abram, and he says this in verse 18. He says, what is it you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she is your wife? Why did you, not, why did you say she's my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. It's literally four Hebrew words. Here, wife, take, go. Just get out of town. Leave. Now, if you're a thinking person, you read this story and you probably, you know, ask the question, okay, wait a second. Did Sarah and Pharaoh were, what? Okay, what? Uh, some people would say, some uh, theologians would say, yes, uh, that, uh, that, um, Uh, because of the fact that you have Pharaoh saying, hey, I took her for my wife. Uh, Some theologians would say, and I lean toward this, no. Uh, Because in the royal house, it took time for uh, wives to appear before the monarch. Think of the story of Esther. Also, Pharaoh returns her and says, here is your your wife, suggesting that she was returned unharmed. Plus, (laughs) we're not going to hit this story, but if you keep reading his story, they do this again with another king. And the truth is that God works in spite of us. God works in spite of us. Our bad choices don't stop God's eternal purposes. In fact, he steps in in both situations and he rescues. This one through a plague, the other one through a dream. And yet, Abraham still begins to doubt if God is going to do what he said he was going to do. Because all along this journey, he still doesn't have a son. Their journey had begun in barrenness, uh, but with the hope of God's promise. But the thousand-mile journey, the sojourn into Canaan, the fiasco in Egypt, uh, the return back to Canaan, all of those things, they still did not have any children. It was all carried out in the shadow of barrenness. I mean, up until this point now, Abraham's servants are starting to have children and so he questions God and God appears back to him in chapter 15 and look what he says to him verse 5 look toward the heaven the number of stars if you're able to number them and then he said so shall your offspring be and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness so in his mind he's like okay this could still happen Verse 7, the Lord said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? God tells him to bring him a heifer, a female goat, a ram, and two birds, and to cut the bigger animals in half and to lay them out. So literally, sacrifice them, cut them in half, and lay them out. And you're thinking, why would he do that? Well, in that day and time, that is how covenants were ratified. 
Uh, in fact, uh, we found evidence of similar, similar rituals in the ancient Near East that indicate that oaths were secured between the halves of animals. They were the binding party in the agreement. It's almost like we're going to make this covenant together and may this happen to you if you don't honor this covenant. And so it's almost a, it's an illustration of the consequences on both parties should they violate the oath. Verse 13, then the Lord said to Abram, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and they'll be servants. And there they will be afflicted for 400 years. So he gives them a glimpse of the timing. Notice, he's not going to see the fruition of that promise. He's not going to see it come about. Verse 14, I will bring judgment on that nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with great possessions. But as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace and shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back in the fourth generation. It's basically saying, you will not possess this land, your offspring will. Verse 17, when the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. We call this the Abrahamic covenant. Abraham was completely passive in this. It's almost like the Lord said, okay, you stand here and watch. I'm going to go through the animal halves, not you. In other words, God alone assumes the obligation. God alone is bound to the promise. God alone enters into this ritual. And yet, they still waited. Verse six, or chapter 16, verse 1. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had bore him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. She had been in Canaan for 10 years. 10 years. And yet, no child. 10 years is a long time. She was 75 years old at this point. Uh, her barrenness was deemed a tragedy in the ancient culture, where having children was seen as a mark of success. Uh, to have many children was seen as to be hugely successful, but to be seen as a failure was to have no children. And so, in Sarah's perspective, 75 years old, time was running out. And so Sarah said to Abram, Behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, uh, that it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. Now, you might sit here and go, Okay, wait a second. I'm a little scandalized by the response. I'm a little scandalized by the solution that Sarah offered. In that day and age, in that culture, it was perfectly logical and acceptable, as well as the cultures that surrounded them. And it had been for thousands of years from Babylon to Egypt. And so it was a perfectly logical, I'm solving this on my own solution to them, especially in her mind. She had taken care of the glitch. She had fixed the problem. And Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abraham called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. But here was the problem. As an Egyptian, Hagar was a descendant of Ham. 
and not Shem, from whom the first blessing was prophesied through Noah. So there are three religions that trace their heritage and their start back to Abraham. There's Christians, there's Judaism, and then there's Islam. Islam traces its root back through Ishmael's line. And so God said, no, 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 that's, that's, that's not how I was going to handle that. That's not how I'm going to take care of that. I was going to fulfill that promise to you. But here's the truth. It is hard to wait on God. Man, sometimes it's just hard to wait on the Lord. Whether you're waiting for a medical diagnosis, whether you're waiting for a relationship, a financial picture to turn, a job to open up, it is hard to wait. Here's what I love about looking at Abraham's life. It reminds me this. And if, you, if that's you this morning, and you're sitting here and you're like, yeah, amen, I get that. I'm having a hard time waiting. Let me just encourage you. God sees you. God knows you. He loves you. And he's got you. This is 14 years later. We're going to fast forward now 14 years. And if you're paying attention at home, that's 24 years. That's a long time. God reappears to Abraham in chapter 17, and then he reappears to Sarah in chapter 18. And both times he says, hey, next year, you're going to have a son. And their response, both of them, is to go, anyone know? They laugh. They're like, uh, whatever, 24 years, right? And they laugh. They're like, come on, do you know how old I am? Chapter 21, verse 1, the Lord visited Sarah and did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Isaac's name literally means he laughs. Abraham's 100 years old. Sarah is 90 years old. What an amazing story of God's promise. I hope I never have to wait 25 years, right, for uh, what I'm hoping the Lord does. Wouldn't it be great if that was it? We just closed up the Bibles and we just said, okay, let's go. But there's one little remaining tidbit in Abraham's story. God gives him another test. They have their baby. They're beginning to see the promise. They're, 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 they, sure, you're not going to possess the land. You're not going to be back in the land. But they see that their family has started, that they're going to be a blessing to the world 25 years after God had promised. And, and you're thinking to yourself, can't these people get a break? And yet, I'm going to tell you, God in his goodness, hear that. God in his goodness and graciousness gives them a test. After these things, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. 
He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I shall tell you. Wait a second. He fulfilled his promise, and he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your son, the one that you love, the one that you care about, uh, the one that's been the fulfillment of the promise, the one you've waited for 25 years. I want you to take him to a place that I'm going to tell you about, and I want you to sacrifice him there. Can you imagine? He's like, what? I, I, I thought we had a deal. You promised. You, you told me the plan. You said salvation through my seed. How can this be? Now, I know you're probably looking, if you've never heard the story before, you're looking at me weird right now. And you're wondering, okay, wait a second, Tom. You just said this test was gracious and his goodness. Keep reading with me. Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Early in the morning. You think Abraham even slept? And I would just be sitting there like, wow, what, what is God doing? What, how is he going to solve this? On the third day, he will look up and he will see a mountain to which he has been sent. Now, It's going to be the same mountain that one day later the temple that was in Jesus' day was built on. Verse 7, And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. Uh, And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? As they moved towards that with Isaac, with the burden of the sticks, on his back, with Abraham holding the flint and the knife, right, in his hand. He kind of knows, he's old enough, this question's going to come. I I see you got, you know, the the wood, the knife, we're going to obviously offer a sacrifice, but I'm not seeing a lamb. Like, I got some questions here. What, What are we doing with this journey without a lamb? Look at Abraham's response. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And so both of them went together. Notice the difference in Abraham here. He doesn't try to solve it. He doesn't try and fix it on his own. He he doesn't revert back to what he knew previously to go and do. He just trusts that the Lord is good, that the Lord is worth following, that the Lord has a plan that maybe he doesn't understand. He trusts in this God with whom he's been journeying with. There's been a change that's taken place in him. Scripture tells us that Abraham lift up the knife and God called out and basically told him, hey, there he looked and there was a ram caught in the thicket. You might say, okay, wait, again, why is that gracious? Abraham understood that God would provide the sacrifice. God gives him a glimpse 
and to how he will bless the world. Uh, the prophetic word that's here in Genesis points to the cradle in Bethlehem. Uh, look at what John the Baptist says when he sees Jesus for the first time. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here's the story. Abraham has survived. Isaac has survived. But it's pointing us to the day when God will do with his son what Abraham did not have to do on this day with Isaac. Because there was a substitute who died in Isaac's place. But on a different day, God will lead his son up. He will lead him up that hill. And it will be on his son's shoulders that the wood for the sacrifice is born. We look at the Old Testament and it points to Jesus. It lets us know that God will provide a sacrifice for us. So here's my question. How about you? Have you met that Jesus? The, the one who was pointed to all the way back here in Genesis? The seed that would eventually bless the entire world? The good news that was talked about 4,000 years ago. The lamb who would be the sacrifice. The one who will take away our sins. The one who will ask you to get out of your comfort zone and journey with him. Can I pray for you and us? Father God, it is so amazing to me your, your story. <laughs> how you called Abram out of the darkness. Lord, we are eternally grateful for what you have done the fact that you have become a sacrifice for our sins so that we might know you. God, I want to lift up my brothers and sisters in this room and God, I pray uh, that they would be encouraged this morning that you are walking with them, uh, that you have them surrounded that you go before them, that you watch behind them, but that you're journeying with them. And Lord, for those in the room that don't know you, that have never placed their faith and trust to you, God, I pray that they would know that you are a savior worth following. 
Lord, that you're good and gracious. Thank you, God. It's in your name, Jesus, pray these things. Amen.